Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello. Hi. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. It's times of crisis like this when we need mindless reality TV more than ever. I mean, who's trying to rewatch The Irishman right now? Liars. That's who. So Vanderpump Rules can get me through the 2016 election. I believe that revisiting VH1's pop culture pantheon of classic celeb reality TVs will get us through this COVID. I this would is wholeheartedly my, this is my pledge agree. to you. <laughs> I In this essay, I will. <laughs> um, before we get into our, our topic of the day, uh, a quick little vibe check because we can't go on without it. Uh, how are you doing since I talked to you on Saturday? Holy shit, Margo. I couldn't agree with you more that uh, all I need right now is trashy celebrity where in an alternate universe once upon a time, we actually thought that there were 20 women f- every year who would want to vibe for Flavor Flav's love and affection. <laughs> I-, I wish for those simpler times, Don't but we all? Uh, you'll be happy to know that I started to watch the Tiger King show on Netflix, oh, so I am God. properly hooked. I needed something else, you know. I am going to watch Cats this weekend. I'd been saving that. I didn't want to, you know, you can't just like blow your self-isolation load like the very first week. I've been like dispensing like little bits of like podcasts and TV and all this and just like starting little projects that I may or may not finish. Depends how much time we're stuck in here. But yeah, so I started the Tiger King because I needed like a dose of insanity and Vanderpump Rules has gotten dark honestly a little bit oh, and so has like some of my other bravo staples and you know new york doesn't come back for another week at this point so i needed something i needed a little crazy and for oh boy oh does, boy does a so- man i mean okay so i'm just gonna say like i understand that like cat people okay yes they're weird but like big cat people are fucking weird no, for sure they're i all think the very very weird and so for any of for them me. to think yeah 
Don't no no. I'm only on episode two. No plot twists. The thing that no I, no no. I just no. think that it's hilarious that they think that one person could be better than the other one when they're all just terrible. Oh, for sure. They're all f- terrible. It only gets worse. Um, and what I love, not a plot twist, but a twist is when we start out, we start out in Oklahoma and we start out in Myrtle Beach and you think, oh, gee, this screams of Florida, but we haven't seen anyone in Florida yet. And then lo and behold, <laughs> later we're introduced to this woman who in fact lives in Florida. And, and then you're like, oh, there it is. There it is. Um, I cannot wait for you to finish this. Florida- it is bonkers will always come into play i can't wait i'm so excited i think that they're all insane it like the whole thing gives me anxiety i just i don't even know but it's great i love this i've never seen okay moral compass more like fucked up in my entire life Okay, I promise that we're going to get to the VH1 stuff, but really quick, that doc guy 100% looks like a Philip Seymour Hoffman character that he would come up with. Oh, for I sure. Don't know. If, he, if the late Philip Seymour really Hoffman were still me. with us, he would have been this the movie that will inevitably come him. out. For sure. Oh, this, I think there will be a movie. They already announced something that's going to be – it's going to be Kate McKinnon is starring oh, as perfect. Carol. Oh, thank God. And if, you know, R.I.P. – P.S. Hoffman was still around, he would definitely be playing that doc guy. I mean, honestly. So as you can tell from our impassioned plea to watch The Tiger King, you can tell that we are starved for some mindless entertainment. When VH1 first started to do Celebrity did you immediately start watching? I know that I got hooked with Celebrity for some reason. I'm not sure if it was like... Same. Some transition from like music videos into TV shows, but it felt really seamless and it really did just I th- spiral. But go ahead. Totally. And here's what I think my theory, and I, I was doing, I came up with this theory because I realized that uh, at one point in the Flavor Flav world of, um, in Flavor of Love, the second, the season two finale was the second highest rated show that was non-sports for basic cable that year in 2006. And I'm realizing Whoa. that this was a nice transition into back then we were just, and when it came to basic cable, you had FX that had Nip Tuck and The Shield, but that's pretty much it. Like AMC was just running Jurassic Park reruns all the time. They didn't right, have that until- yet. I was going to say till post writers strike. And then I know exactly. that a lot of these shows really took off and that's why there's so many spinoffs. I mean, we obviously right. didn't include all of them. We're going to be talking about the surreal life flavor of love. I love New York and celeb fit club, but there are so many spinoffs. I'd forgotten. Yes. There were some, I think the genius of a lot of this and I'm a, I'll get to it a little bit um, in the surreal life part of my recap, but these are ingenious because they're all like six episodes long. Like this is pre quibby. Like that's what it feels like to me. For they sure. knew exactly the correct formula to put together like C-list celebrities and then recycling old reality stars for new shows. It's, it really is quite interesting when you step back because as it's happening, you're just sort of like used to it because for whatever reason, well, not whatever reason, it's more like VH1 trained their audience pretty well to sort of like expect there to always kind of be like a new reality series coming up all the time. 
Yeah, and my other thing that you know is unfortunate is that uh, they clearly picked not only C-list celebrities, but C-list celebrities who had a multitude of other issues um, that oh, were. Lord. And and, I, and really, the winner of this whole ordeal is Dr. Drew because he had so many people to put on his show, Celeb Rehab with Dr. Drew, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit um, when but, I go into my stuff. But Emily, his that rehab center like closed down because they violated like a bunch of laws and shit too. So I don't For really sure. know if he's necessarily the winner. Not a winner, but I actually the- think the real winner might be New York because oh yes, she made a lot of money and. Yep. I will obviously talk – I won't talk about this actually because I mostly just focus on her show. But she made a lot of money. She got out while the getting is good. And now she's just sort of like a household name. So she just like makes that sweet coin doing appearances and shit because everybody loves her. The thing that only makes me upset a little bit are that obviously these cursed Gen Z – just kidding. I mean – Children of the future, et cetera, et cetera. But they only know New York as like a gif. Like obviously that gif of her sitting on that bed in flavor of love with her sunglasses on just staring yeah. off has been – that's where most kids, kids, quote unquote, oh my God, granny. That's like – Over here. That's, no. what, that's where they know her from. And Not that like, truly blows my fucking mind. Digital folklore right there, Marco. Digital folklore. Like this is, this is what has happened is that we have this Gen Z group of kids – who use gifts of people that they don't even know. They just know them as this gif. But we know them as these reality TV show contestants from 10, 15, even 20 years ago at this point. That's pretty incredible. That's that's insane to me that people know things just from meme references now rather than actual source material. I mean, I can't really blame them, though, because sometimes I am like, oh, that's that meme. (laughs) Yes. Realizing that something's like a source material. But it is just kind of a little bit odd because you're like, this is New York. Okay. Paint some motherfucking respect. down. (laughs) Well, I think that's a perfect segue because during this time when everyone is rewatching Outbreak and Contagion, the patient zero of this particular episode is definitely Surreal Life. <laughs> <laughs> the Surreal Life was created by Chris Abrigo, Mark Cronin, and Rick Tellis, and originally premiered on the WB in 2003. So I think that's also part of it, too. Maybe that's oh, how you don't right. have any recollection of getting into it on VH1 because it actually started on the WB pre-CW, so maybe that merger is what initially broke it. Yeah. But that was just really interesting to me because I don't rec- – I remember watching all of season one, but I and I thought it was VH1 because that's just how it is organized in my memory palace, but turns out we were wrong. Mm-hmm. This real life aimed to be a combination of real world and road rules. Just swap out the people who look like someone you go to college with for actors from a Nick at Night show that you barely remember, and you have this real life. Abrigo, Cronin, and Telus initially pitched this concept, calling it Surreal World, but to avoid legal issues, they changed it. And once Surreal Life moved to VH1, Abrigo and Cronin will go on to be single-handedly responsible for the entire quote-unquote celeb reality universe on VH1. So a quick aside about these two dudes. They started a production company called 51 Minds, which to this day still produces a lot of reality shows. And they sold their production company to Endemol in 2008. Endemol is another huge reality show production powerhouse, whatever you want to call them. They do huge shows like American Idol and America's Got Talent. And so they sold 51 Minds to them in 08 for $200 million, but they still produce reality TV shows to this day, but not necessarily together. 
Most importantly to me, Mark Cronin produces the very excellent Below Deck and Below Deck Med. No one gives a shit about that fucking sailing yacht spinoff. What a fucking snooze. But both men really got their start in reality on MTV, which makes a ton of sense when you think about the formula of all of the reality shows that they will go on to create for VH1. Cronin started out on Singled Out, and Abrigo started with Bunham and Murray, who do real world and road rules, hence surreal life. So all I'm trying to say is these two dudes know to make very watchable shows, so it's not incredibly surprising that in their slate of celebrity reality shows that ran from 2003 to 2008, not only shaped that time in TV, but also is responsible a little bit for the consistent onslaught of D-list celebrity reality shows that we continue to have right now. So what's interesting to me is both shows that I talk about didn't have a lot of episodes. For some reason at the time, it felt like they went on forever. But I think it's just because similar to what like The Bachelor sometimes does when it's not interrupted by a pandemic is that you'll go like The Bachelor into The Bachelorette into The Bachelor in Paradise into The Bachelor. So you don't really have like a ton of time to think about things. And actually, maybe Bravo is a better um, a model of this because like once one housewife show ends, then like as soon as the re like when you get to like the second part of the reunion, a new housewife show will start. And then halfway through that, you'll get a different housewife show. So everybody's staggered at a certain point. So you're always kind of feeling like it's never ending seasons. But when you really think about it, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills could definitely take a lesson from the celebrity world because what they accomplish in 20 episodes, these shows do in 10, seven episodes every season. Anyway, moving on to the first season of Surreal Life. I just thought it was really interesting because for some reason in my mind, I thought these went on for like 45 episodes. Me, me too. Like no, I think like my six episodes, six, seven. Episodes. Yeah. At most, at most. And that's what's crazy to me. They are an hour long, but they feel very short. It's sort of like when you go back and I talk about this a little bit, but you go back and watch like old Drag Race or old America's Next Top Model with the commercials taken out. And it's like a tight 45. It's kind of the same thing with these ones, too. No, and I was going to say that for me, at least, I think the daunting thing about trying to get in sounds daunting when talking about trying to get into a Housewives franchise, which I probably will during this time. Um, it's just the the sheer amount of episodes each season versus um, these older shows from like 10, 15 years ago that I watched. I saw everything because there were no more than eight to 10 episodes that I had to watch. Yeah. And, and I don't. I don't know if it was because it was in constant reruns too, but there's something that, that just made it part. seem like, yeah, that it was just more than that. But I guess not because the first season of Surreal Life only had seven episodes, but it felt like it went on for a year. Maybe some of it was also like the newness as well. But the first season of Surreal Life premiered January 9th, 2003 and starred Gabrielle Cartieris, Andrea from 90210, MC Hammer of Too Legit to Quit, <laughs> Corey Feldman of... You know, the uh, fucking Feldman. I don't really, if you don't, you don't know who he is, don't look it up. It's going to bum you out. Uh, Emmanuel Lewis, who was best known for Webster. Jerry Manthe, who was on Survivor Australian Outback. I've never seen a single second of Survivor, so I have no fucking clue who any of these Survivor people are. Vince Neal and Brand Roderick, who was a Baywatch playboy person. And that that's like a reoccurring theme. They always throw in like the quintessential like hot person who you're like who is this again you have no clue and it's always there's like a Baywatch and or Playboy and or both link yes that's true 
The first season and all of the subsequent seasons are shot over two weeks with the celebs all living together in Glenn Campbell's former mansion. Glenn Campbell was like a country singer and TV show host in like the 60s. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, They participated in Survivor. Over the course of the first season, they participated in Survivor-inspired camping trip, a trip to Las Vegas, and of course, drama with Corey Feldman, who married his girlfriend in the season finale. Mindy Cohen was scheduled to be a cast member but dropped out right before taping, and Robin Gibbons was also offered a slot on the, cl- on the cast but declined. The show ended in February of 2003. The fun fact about season one is that Bill Hader worked as a PA on this season. He tells a really no. good story. Yes, on a late night show. I think it's Colbert. <laughs> about how he watched Corey Feldman stop mid-full sob to take direction for a producer and, like, he just stopped and was like, what was that? Oh, okay, yeah, sure. And then went back to sobbing. was like, why? Like took the director's note, which I was like, that is wild. And he, he acts yeah. that way better than I just did. But I, I strongly suggest hunting down that clip if you're interested. Will be doing. So every season, and I will obviously point it out when it happens, but every season will go on to premiere a year later in January. So season two premieres in 2004 and is the shortest one with six episodes. And it starred this time around Tracy Bingham from Baywatch, Trishelle Cantonella from Real World Las Vegas. Oh, Trishelle. This was such a bizarre cast. Eric Estrada, oh, Tammy Faye Chip. Messner, a.k.a. Tammy Faye Baker, Ron Jeremy, and Vanilla Ice. <laughs> I remember this season, like, vividly. Well, how could you forget? This was, as I wrote in my notes, the season full of loose cannons. <sighs> Here are some highlights. We had Ron Jeremy has a pool or Ron Jeremy has a porn star pool party. Vanilla Ice hoists Gary Coleman above a deep fryer and insists that the former child star recite his catchphrase, what you talking about, Willis, which leads Coleman to understandably quit the show. They introduced this up uh, this sub sh- well they introduced a show within a show called Dirty Laundry which was the surreal life talk show hosted by Sally Jesse Raphael just to add right. another fucking layer of surrealness Raphael in one of the episodes focused on Trishel making several unflattering remarks about her drinking problem and then told her that she acted like a slut it's just like no. another theme throughout all these celebrity shows is that they just say things that would never be said in current times or that you would just get yelled at like you could not I guess on a Real Housewife show, you could definitely call a fellow Real Housewife an alcoholic and a slut. But if you're hosting a talk show within a sub-reality show and you told somebody they were an alcoholic slut, that's just like not really going to vibe with everybody else, I don't think. Big surprise. My last bullet point as a highlight is they go to a nudist resort and Tammy Faye cries. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why that tickled me, but I like looked up the pictures and I was like, I do remember this episode. Season three was, I think they realized they started to have like a hit on their hands. So they expanded this one to be 10 episodes and it premiered in September of 2004 and starred Charo, Dave Coulier, Flavor Flav, Jordan Knight of New Kids on the Block, Brigitte Nielsen and Ryan Starr, who came in seventh on American Idol. It was like, who the fuck is Ryan Starr? Anyway, (laughs) memorable moments from this season. There was a recording session for the group to produce an original song, which again, this is where- the gif of Brigitte Nielsen with the clipboard where she takes off her glasses and is like really exasperated. That's another gif that teens only know like that gif. They don't know that that's Brigitte <sighs> Nielsen in surreal life being exasperated by this group. 
They had a surreal life puppy named Winger after the Detroit Red Wings, which what the fuck? And oh, that's during Steve an episode, <laughs> okay, because I was like, why would that be? I don't understand. Um, yeah, they named but- it. They renamed the dog like four times in one episode. <laughs> But during an episode of Dirty Laundry, Flav admits to hitting it, which upsets the whole cast. And per Wikipedia, the dog is now age 11, which I don't know when this is because I don't think the dog is 11. Um, (laughs) Judging by just like time, the dog might no longer be with us. R.I.P. Winger. But at the time of this Wikipedia entry, he was 11, living in Long Beach and had been given to friends of Dave Coulier after the show. (laughs) So he was thriving or continues to thrive. We're not sure. But obviously, this season is most memorable because of Brigitte Nielsen and Flavor Flav's romantic relationship. Tons of question marks after that, which would go on to change VH1's programming for the next five years. This romance will go on to spawn 14 spinoffs and sequels, starting with Strange Love, and then would go on to Snowball from there. Which, that was something that as soon as I saw that, I was like, shit, we forgot Strange Love because that was such a fucking bizarre so strange. You had to see it to believe it. And most of the time you're like, I can't tell if they're like truly into each other or if they're just fucking with us. Well, you know, it starts out (laughs) on an interesting place when Flavor Flav is on his way to see Brigitte Nielsen, but she is engaged to some much younger man who just doesn't know what the hell is going on. Oh my God, I forgot. And then didn't she have a baby recently? Yes, she did in her her 50s. Is truly wild. Um, That was to be a six-two Danish woman with like short bleach blonde hair. (laughs) We should do a mini on Strange Love. Just I don't think think that there's like a ton there, but I think it's enough to talk about. It's a that's a tight (laughs) fifteen. Hopefully. So the fourth season, which was the one that of Surreal Life that I actually remember kind of the most clearly, it premiered the following year in September, and it starred Debrat, Adrian Curry, Christopher Knight, China, Marcus Schweckenberg, who is a Swedish model slash actor, Vern Troyer, and Jane Wheelin of the Go Go's. So things you would definitely remember from the season is Debrat and Jane Wheelin had a beef, which was truly bizarre. Vern Troyer got wasted on the first night and peed in the weight room. You watch China's extremely sad relationship with her ex, Sean Waltman, kind of play out in front of cameras. But much like the season before, it was mainly wrapped up in the romance between Adrian Curry and Peter Brady, and they would eventually get their own spinoff called My Fair Brady. So season five was unique for two reasons. It premiered later that summer. Oh, I'm so sorry. I said that season four premiered in September of the following year. I meant to say January. That is my mistake. Uh, But season five is unique for two reasons. One, it premiered later that summer in July instead of January. And two, it has more episodes, actually the most, 13. So this season had Caprice, who's a model, Jose Canseco, Peppa of Salt and Peppa, Janice Dickinson, Carrie Hart, Pink's husband, fucking Amarosa, and Bronchant Pincho, that's Balky bitch. <laughs> what I mean, truly. Oh, so I've been rewatching some old America's Next Top Model because it's on Amazon Prime, and I forgot how good that theme song is, but also I forgot how bad Janice Dickinson is as a judge. And rereading highlights about this season, I forgot just how painful it was sometimes to watch her on TV. Like, clearly. She's like hamming it up for the cameras, but like there was just some situations that seemed really unhealthy and her beef with Omarosa on this show that caused her to like leave 
in one of the final episodes without making up with her was one of the things that like caused you whenever you watched it you're like I just don't feel good watching this play out like this isn't fun anymore yeah I think that's when for me surreal life kind of I think that might be the last season like I, I watched it but I didn't I didn't watch a lot of it, if I recall correctly, because it wasn't as much fun as previous seasons had been. I would totally agree. And I feel like Amorosa was like a little bit of a part of it because she just seems a little bit, you know, she plays up for the camera. She also comes in during I Love New York, too. So clearly, like, she was just sort of the hired on villain. But Janice also just... I don't know. I just remember watching their relationship being like, this isn't fun anymore. I liked it better with, even though the Vern Troyer stuff was a bit troubling, it was at least that's that cast was really funny together because they were all truly so strange and made no sense and had nothing in common. But this season kind of felt a little bit like bordering on cruel, but to jazz it up and to justify the fact that they were double dipping in the same year, they decorated the whole house to look like a fucking circus and they gave everybody taglines for the intro like they were real housewives. They also got another house dog who was a three-legged dog named Lucky. And that was kind of it. The whole crux of that season was just this feud between Amorosa and Janice and it just wasn't that interesting. So the sixth and final season of Surreal Life started on March 19th, 2006 and starred Alexis Arquette, Cece DeVille of Poison, Steve Harwell of Motherfucking Smash Mouth, Sherman Hemsley from The Jeffersons, Maven Huffman, who's a wrestler, and Tawny Catan from White Snake Video Fame, which is, tr- I mean, truly like that season, it, like I guess all reality shows inevitably take a turn for the dark, but the Tawny Catan finale, I left out what happened. But just know that as soon as the season wraps, she will go on to Dr. Drew's Celebrity Hub. Yes. Um, and we had uh, someone named Andrea Lowell, who is a Playboy model that rounds out the cast. Florence Henderson also makes appearances as, quote unquote, Dr. Flo, who acted as the house therapist. Some memorable moments, but mostly it was just a little bit kind of like, uh, you know, trotting out the horse one last time before you send it off to pasture, so to speak. So they did all the old hits. They shot a music video. They produced and broadcasted their own talk show pilots. They had a battle of bands. But the best part was Alexis Arquette brought a lot of visibility and awareness to the transgender community just by being a part of the surreal life. But, you know, Tawny Catan had a dark exit and, as I said, would go on to go to Dr. Drew's Celeb Rehab. And that would be the end of the surreal life. And so the surreal life... Obviously, as I'd said earlier, Brigitte Nielsen and Flavor Flav had strange love together. When their romance didn't quite pan out, they created the show that Emily's going to talk about. Flavor of Love, which premiered on January 1st, 2006 on VH1 as part of its celeb reality lineup. The show was a spinoff of a spinoff in that it was a spinoff of Strange Love, the reality show that chronicled Flavor Flav's short but wild relationship with actress Brigitte Nielsen. That show, in turn, was a spinoff of The Surreal Life, which Margot just talked to you about, where they originally met. The show, Flavor of Love, would last for three seasons, and during that time, Flavor Flav chose not to marry or date any of the season's winners, eventually announcing during the season three final season reunion show that he was going to marry Liz, the mother of his seventh child. The premise of the show followed the template of most dating reality shows on TV, such as The Bachelor and Joe Millionaire, in that... In this case, 20 to 25 contestants competed to date Flavor Flav while living in a mansion in Encino, where all great things what happen. What a world. What The real Encino man. Uh, Flavor Flav had counsel throughout the show in the form of his bodyguard slash chauffeur, Big Rick, his mother, and at times his ex-Brigitte 
Nielsen and later Tiffany New York Pollard, who we would get to know um, after the first season with various spinoffs. Much like The Bachelor, contestants would compete for one-on-one time with Flavor Flav through a series of competitions. The remaining contestants' parents were brought on the show in the third-to-last or second-to-last episode, and the final two contestants would spend a night with Flavor Flav in a luxurious resort similar to Fantasy Suites. Finally, (laughs) to learn to know who had been eliminated on the show each episode and who was still on... A weekly elimination ceremony would take place, and instead of handing out roses, remaining contestants were handed out their own clock necklaces, much like the ones Flavor Flav always wears, with the winner ultimately ending up with Flavor Flav. When a contestant was eliminated, her real name was revealed along with a champagne toast. Casting for the show was very interesting, to say the least. Can I give you a quick sidebar about casting? Because I had a friend who worked in casting as when the show was doing the first season. Yes. Um, He was not, um, let's say he was well-versed in contract speak because he had worked on Fear Factor beforehand. And so they make you sign all sorts of wild disclosures. But I'll never forget, he was working on Flavor of Love and he sent me a picture of one page of what seemed like um, a phone book size stack of pages that was part of like the Flavor of Love disclosure. And the front page that he sent me was... (laughs) Essentially, VH1 and all of its production companies waiving liability if you of your own recognizance decide to have sex with Flavor Flav and contract an STD. And then there was just what? a list of the STDs that you may or may not contract if you have oh sex my with God. Flavor Flav that they refuse to have any sort of part in. Um, which it still haunts me to this day because he's like, it goes on for several more pages of all of the other <laughs> things that they won't <laughs> sign off on. And he's like, you- and he's like, and these women sign it willingly little did we know that these women would then morph into probably instagram influencers you know in the future but yes that stays with me to this day because it was so fucking funny on that more on that not the std part but just like the willingness of these women i got (laughs) according to this vulture interview i read with mark cronin the show's producer and the guy who would go on to produce all of the vh1 celeb reality shows um of that kind of five to ten year period and casting associate (laughs) douglas howington uh, they went to cities. Um, they went to clubs in cities known for having people with quote eccentric personalities, such as New York, Vegas, Miami, Chicago, and Dallas. As Cronin said, quote, "We were looking for women who either knew who he was by he they mean flavor or flav, or w- were interested in getting involved with someone like him, whether it was because he was an artist, a legend, a millionaire, whichever it was." <laughs> Wild end quote. Um. On each ep- season's premiere episode, Flavor Flav had a lot of trouble remembering contestants' names. So to keep track of them, he gave them each nicknames in a setup akin to the sorting hat at Hogwarts. But instead of hoping to be sorted into your house of your dreams, you would hope that you would have a somewhat regular nickname. In these scenes, the girls lined up in the house and one by one came up to Flavor Flav, who was sitting at a table, where he would then christen them with names such as Bucky, Toasty, New York, Wire, Delicious, etc., etc. These names pumpkin, also... Pumpkin, yes. um, Hottie. Yes. Uh, and there what, were some like really racist ones too. Not yes. racist, but like, you know, These derogative. <laughs> derogative. These names had some interesting spellings such as D for delicious. We had D-E-E-L-I-S-H-I-S and You nibbles. could say that they were phonetically spelled most of the time. Most of the time, and, and nibbles, N I B B L Z. 
who is named as such <laughs> who is named as such because her lisp reminded Flavor Flav of Mike Tyson, to which she replied that she also nibbles like him, referencing the Holyfield ear incident. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I watched Flavor of Love for the naming. I always oh, thought that was the was best part. Best much like the very the first best. episode of The Bachelor is always the best because you meet all of these women dressed like slaws or popping yes. out of suitcases and all that wild shit. Yep. After that, yep. it's like fucking diminishing returns, but up until that, it's very funny. And him naming them was always hysterical because, yes, he would come up with ways to spell things that you're like, huh, I guess I that's see it. the word. <laughs> exactly. It really is like phonics. the phonetic spelling in it, like the dictionary. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah, I guess that makes sense phonetically. That's sort of, yeah, I guess if you if you were a student of Hooked on Phonics, I, I could see where that comes up. The most fascinating thing to watch on this show is just how into Flavor Flav many of these women are. In fact, in the aforementioned Vulture interview, the writer asked Mark Cronin about the legitimacy of how much it looked like these contestants were into him. And he responded, quote, one of the biggest questions you always get is, well, come on, could they really be into Flavor Flav? Always the answer to this question were they really into that? That into him is yes. When you take a group of people, take them away from their homes, take away their cell phones and television, and their phone calls are bugged, and there's this one guy who shows up and decides whether you'll get to eat a nice dinner tonight or whether you're going to be in a limo with him, it's like Stockholm Syndrome, and they become very quickly caught up in it. You'll actually even see that when somebody gets eliminated from one of these shows, they kind of snap out of it very quickly, like suddenly realize, what was I thinking? Revisiting this show, personally, a lot Wait, of this. Wait, hold on. Thank you, Mark Cronin, because now uh, Camille Grammer gif, we said it. Because I was going to say, I'm like, sir, it. you are describing Stockholm Syndrome, syndrome. right now. In fact, but also, re- I think it's like really funny when you think about like even just this Bachelor season when Kelly got eliminated. It was like she snapped yes. out of it. Like she was already not super in it, but she was like, man, fuck that guy. He fucking yeah, fuck sucks. That, yeah. so I was like, it's yeah, so you're true. Correct. It's so true. Anyway, you were going to say, sorry. Yes. No, it's fine. Personally, when I was revisiting this show this week, a lot of this does, in fact, feel like a cult. Um, and maybe <laughs> someone of Tiger King, it goes yes. full circle. Well, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of similarities here. Someone is kept in a house with other people <laughs> away from the outside world and from contact with loved ones. They are then stripped of their identity and assigned a new name, which hello, Manson family, or hello, our friend at the Myrtle Beach Zoo. And then grow to love their leader figure and are pushed to extreme behavior they would have never considered in the outside world. Like, this very much reads like a cult when you watch it again, especially after I have listened to so many cult podcasts and watched so many cult docuseries. Of course, the show is a huge hit for VH1 with the second season's finale, as I was saying earlier, being the second highest rated non-sports basic cable show of 2006, Um, which, like I said earlier, I think it's probably because back then prestige TV just hadn't really hit cable, basic cable yet. Like you either had your network hits or you went to HBO. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe a year or two after this is when you really start to see Mad Men, Breaking Bad, um, FX comes out with more uh, TV shows, AMC becomes a big hit network. So it's a very different. I would even say that reality TV was less competitive then too, because during the time of some of these shows, like Surreal Life predates Real Housewives of Orange County. I mean, of course we had like Survivor. We had like all the staples, Big Brother, Real World, all of that, but there wasn't a ton of new stuff. There were like there weren't reality shows that came out all of the time, like a Love Is Blind well, or they like didn't a have Family Karma. 
Yeah. They oh, didn't have that the, was like, pre that the edit. edit too. Yeah. Right. So you have you, you get the crazy contestants, sure, but it still feels very kind of low budget. Um and yeah. and, and there's, you know, clearly whoever it's VH1 made this into a hit is a genius because you know the budget was not great on this. Like they're not going to destinations on flavor of love. They no. are staying no, in no, the no. house. Parents not come to, to Chile. They're not going to demonstrate to third grade Spanish. No, there are no hometown dates. That's really what's kind of like some of the more striking stuff about it. I, I as I said, I was like rewatching some old America's Next Top Model, and the first couple of seasons, you really see how little money they have. Like they truly yeah. have like a tarp from Party City as a backdrop, and you're like, wow. And they just made it work because it really didn't matter because we were there matter. for the content because nobody really sure. knew what they were doing. No one so it really is like reality from- TV in its purest form. And I think that's why Flavor of Love is kind of like holds for some strange reason and also yes. was so popular then was it was a satire but didn't make you feel stupid the way that like Joe Millionaire did or – um, like any of those other kind of like stunty reality shows or dating shows that were on like the bigger networks. It was like a good spoof before Burning Love, but was like kind of sincere-ish um, of like The Bachelor. And I think a lot of people gravitated towards that. Ultimately, this show was responsible for a string of similar dating reality shows and spinoffs, such as I Love New York, starring Tiffany New York Pollard, Rock of Love, starring Brett Michaels, which I very, very much thought about, like, doing a little research on instead of Celebrity Fit Club, um, and Real Chance of Love. Well, we should definitely, we 100% need to circle back because I think Rock of Love. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Love is hilarious. I also oh forgot my God. how much I love Charm School with Monique. Yes. There yes. Was some, I mean, they had too yeah. many shows. Real it's an embarrassment of... of- which starred oh, yeah. those like two brothers and then oh, um, Flavor yeah. of Love Charm School, I Love Money. I this I mean, just the list goes on and on. Well, honestly, just the I will touch on it a touch, but a touch on it a touch. Uh, but I love money and the whole murderer associated with that show yes. that essentially ended celebrity just to begin with because it was a liability. It is insane. It's truly an embarrassment of riches. We'll have to do a follow-up episode and some minis yes. on certain ones because there was Incredible. a lot. Once I started to peel back one layer of this fucking onion, you just like find all these other shows. You're like, oh, yeah, I was obsessed with that and obsessed with that. And that was amazing. And this is also terrible. Yeah. 
so um i mean it's just the revisiting of it all is just like wow there was just they were pumping out content just like yeah. so many spin-offs um i i'm just going to kind of go into one or two last things for this and then a few of contestant highlights for me and then i'll let you go into i love new york but the week following the finale every season an all cast reunion typically aired and the host was lala vasquez who is now lala anthony and she would spend this time reviewing the most memorable moments and interviewing the Sorry. contestants I think she's just Lala now because they got divorced. Oh, right. Her and Carmelo aren't together anymore. Ah, yes. (laughs) Classic NBA problem. Well, and also amazing what happens in like less than 15 years. This this is also (laughs) when the viewer finds out if Flav is still with the woman he chose and what they had been up to since the season wrapped. Spoiler alert, he never stayed with any of the finalists. And VH1 also introduced an internet component to the show where viewers could create profiles, interact with contestants and other fans, and stay current with news at flavoroflove.world.com. That's an interesting thing to me was like once upon a time, there was such a straight like strange online companion component to these shows. Um, nowadays, the, that would be like akin to having our Facebook groups for podcasts and that kind of thing. But but really back then, I feel like it's it's amazing how many of these TV shows like the network's website would have a dedicated almost like second life component to it on that website. And then in season three, fans even got to vote online to elect five of the contestants, though Flav sent four of them home in the premiere episode. <laughs> I'll just quickly dive into like a handful of contestants and then we'll go into I Love New York. So uh, obviously Flavor Flav was the main person whose real name I didn't realize was William Jonathan Drayton Jr. Uh Tiffany Pollard, obviously, New York, was the runner-up of both the first and second seasons. After the show, she'll go on to I Love New Tragic. York, as well as New I York mean, goes honestly, to Hollywood. The, best, New York goes to the work. best moment for New York truly was when that bitch pumpkin spit, spat on her, yeah. and she almost ripped her fucking face off. Yes. That is a legend was born. TV, and yep. she, is a, she is a legend. So one other thing that came up in that interview on Vulture was just really great quotes. Um the interviewer asks, <laughs> I you may, bet. <laughs> you know, the interviewer asks them, uh, you may have scored one of the greatest reality show casting coups of all time when you found Tiffany Vault Pollard, aka New York. How did you find her? Howington, the casting guy, is saying, I didn't find Tiffany. I would love to know who did. This is actually something two of my casting friends and I have talked about through the years. Who found Tiffany Pollard? I thought she was a great marketer of her talent, her quote unquote talent. Whatever it is, she wasn't. She was just a walking time bomb of awesomeness for reality TV. And then Cronin goes on to say she was a reality television genius. You could see why Flavor would really fall for her. And then with other women who were competition, she was absolutely vicious. Um, I'll go into maybe two more people and then uh, I will hand it off to you. There was also Hoops, who was the winner of the first season, a.k.a. Nicole Alexander. After the show, she started acting and modeling. Um, They broke up soon after the show ended. Um, She went on to I Love Money, winning the grand prize of $250,000. And she dated Shaquille O'Neal, so not bad. She also went on to date Shaq because her name was Hoops because she was like a basketball player. Not like (laughs) with the WNBA or anything, but she just liked to play basketball. Basketball. I really do think that we're underselling New York, who we could totally have an entire episode about because she really did create a character on reality TV that has withstood the test of time when these kinds of shows are supposed to be disposable. But for me, 
some of my favorite New York moments from Flavor of Love. Mostly it's her screaming at Hottie when she says, I think I look like Beyonce. And she screams, Beyonce? Beyonce? She's like, you look like Luther <laughs> Vandross. Um, and then the other one, the other gift that I always send of New York to other people is when she's been sitting at the table and like bitches are trying to try her and she's just like eating a steak and like holding up like a doll steak yeah. knife and she's like half laughing, half being menacing, but you know, she's not going to do anything. You know, she's doing it for the camera and yes. that's what makes it so fucking so good. good. So good. More people need to study at the school of New York and get their fucking reality TV show characters together because she I was mean, ahead of her time. Ahead of her time. And then the final two people I'll go into delicious really quickly uh, who won <laughs> the second season. She later Are would you go doing on a to delicious have- where she is now. Yes. She would later okay. go on to have her own line of jeans called D-Cut and then participate in a 2009 national tour of the vagina monologues with an all black cast, most of whom were also former reality TV show contestants. Oh, I'm pretty sure an Atlanta housewife was in that. Finally, hottie, AKA Shatar Taylor appeared on flavor of love would go on to be on charm school. And turns out hottie actually went to university of Pennsylvania where Mark Cronin had also gone to. Um, and he couldn't believe that this woman had gone to the same school as him. She literally, there's a scene in which she uh, tried to microwave a raw chicken. If that gives you any indication of how oh, strange yeah. that she had an Ivy league education. I don't okay, feel like diving into any others. You, no, you totally forgot the best part about Delish. She is engaged to one of the um, Central Park Five. Oh my God, you're right. Yes. Remember, everybody was like, "Wow, that's yes. so interesting that they're dating." How'd they even meet? And then they're like, How "And then we meet? turned around, they were engaged." I engaged. think they met at like, I think they met at some sort of rally for victims or a fundraiser. I'm totally botching it. If you just go to their Instagrams, they talk about how they met and everything. But it's very cute and super sweet. But yeah, they that's that I think is the most interesting glow up out of all of yes. them. I mean, way to go from Flav to the opposite of Flav. <laughs> yes. Flav, who is like about to get kicked out of his half of Public Enemy because what's oh, his Oh, he face? wouldn't appear in the Bernie. Say, oh, Chuck D was mad Chuck that D he was about to like kick him out. Yeah. I almost called him D Nice because I keep seeing all these things about D Nice and his DJing. And so, like, my brain is a little bit fried. <laughs> it's been a rough couple of weeks. That's, that's acceptable. <laughs> Has it been a couple of weeks? Like, what day is it even? If it wasn't for birth control, which I immediately forget what day it is as soon as I, like, pop out a pill. But (laughs) if it wasn't for birth control, I would not know even a little bit what day it is. (laughs) Bless my computer that I'm always like, 25th? Wait, was sort of the 23rd was like a few days ago. Okay, I I think I know what's happening. Technically, if this were, like, real, like, regular, like, uninterrupted life, I was supposed to be going on vacation tomorrow. But now my vacation is like, maybe I'll just lay in bed till noon because what's the point? (laughs) God. Uh, I'm not trying to bring it down. No. One great thing about self-isolation life is that I rediscovered I Love New York is on Hulu. (laughs) (laughs) So I watched probably half of the first season of I Love New York yesterday, and it was pretty good. I would say it definitely holds up. So I just have one question. Do you have love for New York? Because New York is in the motherfucking house. I loved New York because she was one of the first 
I guess you could say, quote unquote, romantic leads who said fuck a lot, which I obviously identify with as somebody who loves the word fuck. Um, And I just thought that she was always one of the funniest people on Flavor of Love. She had the best comebacks. And truly, she went easy on Pumpkin when she spat in her face. I think everybody can agree on that. But it was nice after seeing New York get brought back. Well, especially in the second season when Flav rejects her and picks Delish. Is? Is it delicious or is it Delish? It's delicious. Okay, when Flav picks Delicious over New York and she's crying, like, why did you bring me back, Flav? Why would you do this to me? I think a lot of people could relate to that. And I think that was probably New York's most human moment where we're like, yeah, she's beyond this caricature of a person. And I think that I Love New York kind of like showcased her like caricature, but also with some soft sides. But she's very no nonsense. And that's what I love about her. So I Love New York is all about her quest to find true love. And she is our original Black Bachelorette. I'm very sorry, Rachel Lindsay. But New York is the Black Bachelorette that we deserve. She has pithy comebacks. She has no tolerance for bullshit. And she can make up her mind quickly. I really do love that Rachel Lindsay cried off her lashes for Peter. But, you know, it was just sort of like a letdown that she picked who she picked. Whereas New York, it didn't really matter who she picked. We just wanted to see her happy. First of all, one thing that stood out to me that made her an unconventional rom-com lead was that she chain smokes menthols, and that's what makes her a fucking legend. (laughs) Not only that, but her mother, who also chain smokes, joined her, Sister Patterson. And if you want to talk about similarities to the Bachelor universe, Barb wishes she was a quarter as terrifying as Sister Patterson. In the first season, New York is also joined by her cabana boy, Chamo. But I just really want to circle back to Sister Patterson, who is also just, you can tell where New York gets her blunt opinions from who would just straight up tell her things like that guy's butt looks too much like a girl's butt and if the two of you were wearing similar pants I wouldn't be able to tell who was who from behind there's also an episode where Amoroso guest stars and helps New York figure out who is the richest bachelor among them (laughs) and the loser who has the least amount of money has to go on a dinner date with sister Patterson and it's this guy who's like clearly going through th- some things he starts off his whole presentation by being, by saying here's the thing i'm broke and everybody starts laughing but he clearly takes it personal instead of realizing that it just it's funny and it seemed funny and they thought he was in on the joke but he wasn't anyway sister patterson is truly one of a kind indeed oh i forgot how Flavor. much i loved her Oh, my God. She's so terrifying. There's like a scene in the first episode where she's like chain smoking outside with this with um, I believe his name is Romance. He has recently lost his dog and he's like really upset about it. But Sister Patterson thinks that's very endearing. So she's smoking and hanging out outside. And then she fucking hates Chance the entire time. And so Chance comes in and, you know, interrupts or butts in or whatever. And Sister Patterson completely fucking chews him out. She blows smoke in his face. And I was like, oh, my God, I forgot how great this show is like this is like the kind of like endorphin rush that i'm looking for that i got from love is blind which is like no fucking courting none of this like pretending to be polite bullshit like no we're getting like straight to the matter of everything like let's go so i love new york follows a very similar format to flavor of love where new york gives all the guys a nickname um the reveal of what their real names are at the end when they get voted off is always my favorite because it's always like his name is, I don't know, like Mr. Boston. It's like his name's Chris. You're like, mm, maybe you should just go by Mr. Boston. Like, that's probably better for you. <laughs> I mean, she names a white guy token and then another white guy simply white boy. 
I rewatched the first episode, as I had mentioned, on Hulu. Again, definitely worth a rewatch, worth your time. And there are two things that really make the hair stand up on the back of your neck when you hear it. It's really tough to say that because there is also, as I had mentioned, a man crying about the dog that he recently lost, that he's now going to transfer all of that loving energy onto New York because she's his princess now. So that's cool. But wait, it gets so much worse. First, the aforementioned Mr. Boston calls another contestant the hard R word. And then Rico tells New York that he's going to call her his quote unquote negrita, which she immediately shuts down. Thank fucking God. But was still extremely cringeworthy, was just deeply upsetting, especially when everybody else was yelling, please don't say that to her. And he said, no, I charge ahead regardless. Again, I'm rewatching America's Next Top Model, and they recently had a photo shoot on the fourth season where all of the white, predominantly white models had to be, quote unquote, ethnically ambiguous. So, like, I just think it's par for the course for this time. I'm not saying it excuses it. I'm just saying that all of these reality shows were losing their mind at the same time. Again, this is just a a deranged version of The Bachelorette or actually a more honest version. And I think that the mission statement of I Love New York is distilled in New York's parting speech to the contestants on the first night who didn't get past the first elimination round, which the mansion, by the way, looks like a frat house because it has like a sheet draped over the front of it. But the wallpaper on the inside is really cool because it looks like a Louis Vuitton logo, but instead of LV, it says NY. But I couldn't figure out, I couldn't make heads or tails of this house. It has like a big hedge and it looks really cool and kind of like woodland. And then there's just like a sheet draped over the front, which makes me feel like they're hiding something underneath that. But this is New York's speech to her contestants that didn't make it past the first night. For the five here that don't have a chain, don't think you didn't touch me. But the truth of the matter is, you're just not good enough for me. In a talking head aside. One was here for acting, one was a fucking pansy, and one couldn't control his eye sockets. The other two, they just weren't good enough for me. So they just had to get the fuck up out my place. Chris Harrison wishes. And that's right. Instead of roses or clocks, she gave the men who advanced a giant chain that said, I love New York on it. The season one winner, Tango, a.k.a. Patrick Hunter, sadly turned out to not be New York's soulmate. So they greenlit a season two, duh. And then season two premiered in October of the same year, 2007. Maybe it was the extra episode. Season two had 13 versus 12, but she picked TaylorMade, a.k.a. George Weisenberger, but they'd later break up on the next New York spinoff, New York Goes to Hollywood. I was going to do a Where Are They Now, the contestants, but it proved to be either mild or just straight up depressing. But the only notable thing that I wanted to relay to the masses was that Punk, a.k.a. David Otunga, is Jennifer Hudson's ex-husband. And that was the only interesting thing of note. I yeah. totally and forgot about that. He looks exactly the same. You're like, how did I miss that? That just seems very obvious. Wow. So more interesting than the where are they nows is the sheer amount of spinoffs from New York alone. So we have Real Chance of Love with the two brothers from season one, Chance, who was the runner up in Real, who sadly passed in 2015, I believe from colon cancer or liver cancer. Excuse me. I didn't write it down. Then there is Frank the Entertainer quote, dot, 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 a basement affair. Frank the Entertainer was on the second season. And then we have the New York-based spinoffs. There is New York Goes to Hollywood, New York Goes to Work. And then there was going to be I Love New York 3, but it was canceled because basically Megan Wants a Millionaire slash I Love Money ruins the party. So the end of the I Love New York era at 
VH1 as we know it kind of goes a little bit like this. New York Goes to Work premiered in May of 2009. And it followed her on her search to find a regular job. After the finale, the viewers were asked to vote on what she should do next. Should she do I Love New York 3, take a vacation, or find a real job? And everybody voted for I Love New York 3. But that was put on an indefinite hold, which, sorry if that's super triggering. That's especially a triggering phrase to me currently. But it was put on an indefinite hold because, well, there's no easy way to put this, but a contestant on I Love Money and Mega Wants a Millionaire was a murderer. He murdered his girlfriend and then eventually killed himself. He had he was abusing her and had embezzled money and was just in tons of trouble. And it happened in San Diego because all terrible things apparently happen in San Diego. And that is kind of what took down the whole celebrity empire that was going on at VH1 at the time. And then they just kind of like pivoted to whatever they're doing now. I love hip hop, I believe. And um, some other shows, they they like share a crossover with MTV, obviously, because they're owned by Viacom. But yeah, so um, that was how the I Love New York era ended on VH1. That's how Celeb Reality ended because it just ended up being a giant liability. They couldn't believe that they had missed all of his criminal offenses in a background check. But as somebody who watches 90 Day Fiance and on the current season, there is a guy who has been accused of rape by two of his three ex-wives. And there's like a suspicion of murder against him about his dead toddler. I'm just trying to say that sometimes producers maybe don't care or not everything gets brought up. But either way, maybe triple, quadruple check if you're just sort of like putting a bunch of money in shows. Better safe than sorry. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, I am going to try to easy breezy cover Celebrity Fit Club because this is probably the least exciting of the celebrity shows, unfortunately. Um, as you guys might remember, it's a TV series which followed eight overweight celebrities as they tried to lose weight. And I should probably point out this follows a little bit of The Biggest Loser. What's interesting is that it's based on a British show which aired on ITV from 2002 to 2006 with British celebrities. And then... Um, Biggest Loser premiered on, in 2004. So I really thought that Slub Fit Club was based on Biggest Loser. But it turns out, I think the first one was the British Celebrity Fit Club. But the formats yeah. are very similar where you have, you know, overweight people campaigning against one another. Premise of the show is this. Contestants are split into two competing teams of four members. Each week, teams are given different physical challenges and their members are weighed to see if they've reached their target goal weights. Contestants are monitored and then supervised by a team of experts, including a nutritionist, psychologist, a physical trainer. Um, the series was hosted by Ant, the comedian, until season seven, who I had forgotten about, but you might remember him as a contestant on Last Comic Standing, which was hosted by Jay Moore, who was also at Spidey's wedding. As you may remember, we found out when we interviewed Zoe, old millennials, reality TV universe, baby. At All we point- need is Peter Gallagher's eyebrows and we have bingo. Sadly, he did not make an appearance in Celeb Reality. <laughs> At one point during each of the first, I feel five like seasons, he just—I feel like he missed it by like a hair strand, just a just a couple of, of brow strands. Um, team trade-offs were initiated throughout the season. Um, there was like a mid-season team trade-off where the fit clevers voted one member off their team. The teammate with the most votes was then traded to the other team, and in the case of a tie, it was the captain who would make the final vote. And then after season one, they had a new rule that prohibited fit clubbers from voting for themselves. 
And then the season twist or in season five to balance the gender based teams, they added a twist which allowed traded fit clubbers to choose a teammate from their old team to join the new team. And it feels kind of like they tried to re they would try to kind of change things up uh, towards the later end of the seasons because this show was probably exciting for the first few seasons. But over time, it's a lot of repeat um, people who come back. You'll probably remember Ant, of course, who's the host. Um, the other kind of notable people were the d- the drill instructor, Harvey Walden the fourth. He's the really kind of hard-headed guy who's like yelling at the contestants. Um, and then Dr. Ian K. Smith was probably one of the more notable people because he's had his own show um, after this. And then Dr. Marissa Peer, who was on the first season, um, but later as a psychologist and then later replaced with Dr. Linda Papadopoulos. And I'm so sorry, I mispronounced that Greek name. The most notable contestant from the show, obviously, was Dustin Diamond. He was the absolute worst. He regularly mocked fellow contestants, disrespected the coaches and aunt. There was even an episode which, during a weigh-in, they showed footage of him at an adult film expo because he had just notably been in a porn film. Uh, So he was at an adult film expo where he picked up a dildo to imply that he was going to get it for Kimberly Locke, who I think at the time was singing a lot of like Christian gospel music. So um, this actually caused her to cry and walk off the set during the weigh in. Diamond's behavior caused six contestants to leave the room after that. And after Ant chastises him for his behavior, he threatens wanting to fight Ant. This leads to a showdown with Drill Sergeant Harvey, who loses his shit and could who could blame him? There is a reason why Dustin Diamond is the worst and is not a part of any of the Safe by the Bell reunions. He sucks. Harvey threatens to beat up Diamond after Diamond says he wants to take him down, which like, sure, Jan, like you would stand a chance. In a later episode. I remember that. And I yeah. feel like, remember, like, I don't remember. Do you remember maybe it was like five years ago when Dustin Diamond got stabbed? And I was like, yes. yeah, we all yeah. knew when you challenged coming. that dude to a fight in Celeb Fit Club that you were never going to win. Had it coming. In a later episode, Dr. Ian K. Smith, uh, one of the experts at the weigh-in, after Diamond has lost over 10 pounds on the show, I think he's lost maybe close to 20. He congratulates Diamond, but also expresses his concern over Dustin Diamond using diet pills to make it happen rather than actually doing the work and exercising and eating healthy. And then, you know, talks about oh, how his right. cholesterol will stay up. He's at risk for heart disease, so on and so forth. And Diamond just gives him the I'm sorry you feel that way and basically says he's sorry for not losing weight uh, a doctor's way to help him make money. Um, so Diamond is completely insufferable the whole time. Uh, but other notable contestants included Jeff Conaway, who was clearly on drugs during the filming and had a breakdown during one of the weigh-in ceremonies that they had to keep filming over and over again because he's like biting his shirt and and having it pulled up to expose his stomach. He's rude and hostile towards the panelists and other contestants. He would later leave halfway through the show to enter rehab and then will show up in celeb rehab with Dr. Drew. Another notable person That's was Gary. all of our troubled celebrity stars That's, end up. A lot of them ended up on this show. So Gary Busey, who was also dealing with substance abuse. Um, and Busey actually will show up on Celeb Rehab with Dr. Drew, um, thinking that he's supposed to be a mentor. But really, he's there because he needs to be at rehab as well. Ultimately, the show really saddens me because of the number of contestants who have since died, since uh, including Ralphie May from Last Comic Standing, Jeff Conaway, Janie Lane from uh, the band Warrant. Um, there were several other contestants on this show and then later Celeb Rehab who ended up passing away. 
It's also worth noting, like I said, um, a lot of these people end up on Celeb Rehab, Dr. Drew, and also people who were in surreal life, um, including Jeff Conaway, Brigitte Nielsen, Gary Busey, uh, and Tani Contain. And the list goes on and on, but those were just a few that I caught. Um, but as you were mentioning people on surreal life, I was like, oh, I remember seeing them on the list for uh, Celeb Rehab with Dr. Drew. So um, some of the other notable contestants uh, from season one, there's Ralphie May, uh, Wendy Kaufman, who's the Snapple lady, Daniel Baldwin, one of the Baldwin model uh, brothers. Season two included Jack A. Harry, who is responsible for some of the greatest two to three minutes of television ever in her appearance on Watch What Happens Live with Regina King, where she and Regina have had way too much to drink and are just hilarious. I highly recommend you all search for that after this episode. Um, it also included the late Janie Lane, who is the lead singer of Warrant, um, as well as Gary Buse's first appearance on Celeb Fit Club. Um, and then other notable people from that season, the Snapple lady showed up again. Um, and then Victoria Jackson, oh, who yeah. you might know. Yeah, SNL, who later has gone on to be a Fox News regular, which, gross. <laughs> season three. Oh, no, I was, uh, oh, yeah, I'm the... I was oyang the Snapple lady because I forgot that's how I developed like an affinity for the Snapple lady period was getting to know her on this show. Right. She was one of the tamer people for to say the least. Um, she seemed really nice and super normal. I think that's why I was like she I just want her to succeed whatever yeah. her goals may be. Exactly. Season 3, I mean, every, as each season goes on, it kind of gets like the list gets after season three, I get, it gets a little less interesting. So season three had um, Kelly LeBrock, had Countess Vaughn, Gunnar Nelson, who was in the band Nelson. Um, and he came in, I believe, to yeah replace Jeff Conaway because Jeff Conaway leaves midseason after he goes to enter rehab and just shows up to weigh-ins completely uh, drugged out of his mind. Young MC was another person on there as well as Chaz Bono and Bruce Valanche, which we don't see Bruce often anymore, but he was a great oh, talking yeah. head on... Yeah, I feel like he was in a lot of another the, um, another VH1. person who I another person who I had discovered through this VH1 show that I didn't even know I had liked so much of his writing for so long until for the show. Sure. It did exactly. do some good, I guess, for notoriety's sake or putting a face to a name kind of thing. But it is interesting how ce- how this celebrity show doesn't really endure the way that like a flavor of love, which I think <gasps> Not maybe at all. has kind of like a more general theme where like things like this and like biggest loser and stuff have lost a lot of their sheen because yeah. they feel so fat shaming well they For are sure. fat shaming and, and that's what i so <laughs> before my internet st- was started crapping out that's actually what i talked about was ultimately i think that this show is not worth a rewatch. first off it doesn't you know after the first few seasons a lot of the people are not as entertaining as they were in the first couple of seasons which unfortunately in most cases because these people had drug abuse issues um but it's also that we just, they just transitioned to Dr. Drew. Exactly. They and and that's that's really sad. And then on top of that, it's just like weight loss shows are so strange to watch, you know, 15, 20 years later where people get con- consistently get called out as fat on this show. And it's not in the sense of where people now, a lot of people have taken that word and to use it as a descriptor rather as a demeaning term. And in this case, is clearly met in a demeaning way. And um, I mean, there's a reason why in 2020, whenever Jillian Michaels does an interview, everyone afterwards on Twitter is like, fuck you, because her rhetoric doesn't work. That fat shaming rhetoric is just not a part of our landscape as much anymore. And thank God, I'm glad to know that we probably won't see the show re get rebooted in the celebrity universe. 
not this one, but they did reboot The Biggest Loser. I saw a commercial for I it. I saw that too, recently. but I don't think Jillian and Michaels I thought, was a part of it. It struck me as no, no, it's some white guy. And, but I was just still surprised. I was like, I thought we had moved past this kind of stuff. But I guess if there's Khloe Kardashian's revenge body, you can still, you can reboot The Biggest Loser on, I think it's like on the History Channel or True TV. It's on a strange channel. What? It's like one of those channels that you have to like no. pay extra for. And I know. Like, well, but it's not history worth channel. like nine other. Well, you have no idea the weird shit that they have on the History Channel now, Em. It's they got they rid of the- bizarre programming. I mean, after you air about 20,000 shows devoted to Hitler, like you've got to find content <laughs> elsewhere. You've got nothing to lose. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, it yeah, was they should for- just—they should name the History Channel War World the way that yeah. Westworld named that latest world War World. Ultimately, I'm that. <laughs> yeah, that's another show I'm gonna finish up on um, or catch up with during this uh, time uh, of quarantine. I can't wait. Don't bother. Just go back to the Sopranos. It's not <sighs> worth it. I feel like I this know. is this is truly The Walking Dead all over again, but with a higher budget. I'm like, why the fuck am I watching this? I don't think it's good. <laughs> but I don't know for sure, so I have to keep watching or else like, am I dumb? Like, I don't know. I mean, I know I don't know. To some extent that might be true, but I have to finish watching this fucking show to figure it out. I'd rather relearn math. Like, this is just so stupid. It's anyway, unnecessary. Sorry, you were saying... You were saying what was I even saying? God, Margo. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I just, I, you know, I, I think some of these uh, things were worth revisiting and were a lot of fun to revisit, like Flavor of Love. And then, you know, I watched uh, clips of um, Surreal Life and I Love New York. Uh, but Slub Fit Club, apart from the Dustin Diamond stuff, really just there's a reason why I can't find that many YouTube videos of it. It's just not one that people are ever going to really want to revisit. Yeah. And I think the beauty of some of the older shows, like um, beyond like a flavor of love, like we were talking about like rock of love too, or charm school and even top model, obviously there are like key episodes that you could just watch those as like a highlight reel and not to get into binging. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there are some good standout episodes. I'd say like the first three episodes of I Love New York are all pretty standout because the, you've never seen this before, at least not in 2007. You've never seen this before. So I find the whole first season to be good and the second season to kind of be a little bit forgettable because it has it loses a little bit of the, oh, wow, what the fuck will she do next kind of sheen. But yeah. New York is still an excellent reality TV show personality. She was on Drag Race as a judge and she was great and... I listened to an interview with her on a podcast where she talks about like the end of the New York ride and how it kind of came as a surprise, but she wasn't sure when it was going to happen. So it was like the timing, not necessarily that it ended, but that she's, she's aware that she has started a lot of reality show trends in, in her time. And she's happy with her, her legendary status. But I think she is, she was like on botched and I do think she is still looking for a man. So I say now's the perfect time to do. I love New York three. Uh, you know, in this time when we are all confined to our homes, like what else can we watch? Put her on Love is Blind. Oh, my God. Love is New York. Like that is. Love is New York. Oh, my God. I love it. It's like we were talking about my friends and I the other day on the phone. We're talking about having a show called Love is Quarantined in which you 
<laughs> you fall in love with someone while never getting to meet them in person until after everything has been lifted. <laughs> Wasn't that an SNL sketch? Um, it was in the sense the twist was that they people had coronavirus instead of um like oh. the actual being quarantined. I am curious to see how those relationships last. I would watch that show. I would mean I'd watch anything at this point. Just seriously. To me. <laughs> I'm planning on watching cats. I'm not well. <laughs> I mean, we'll watch it together, I think, this weekend at one point. Like we'll probably have to have a, a conversation about it for sure. Give me that sweet digital fur. We should also watch burlesque at some point, too. We're For obviously sure. getting very far away from what we were we talking are. about. Are there any oh. other wrap-up tidbits from Celebrity VH1, no. either your Fit Club or anything else? No, um, but, but one last thing about uh, cats. I just love the campaign where people actually thought there was a butthole cut of the movie and people were... Wait, are you telling me there isn't? No, it no, turns out it's isn't? not true. <laughs> That's it's really disputed. That was honestly, yeah. that's too bad because that made me laugh for several days. I needed that boost of serotonin. I mean, it comes so few and far between now. The campaign we can all get behind in 2020, hashtag release the butthole cut. <laughs> and, oh, oh, well, I have to get to my virtual Vanderpump Rules uh, viewing party. So, we're going to go ahead and tell you that, look, you got a ton of time on your hands, much like we have a ton of time on our hands. And, yep. you know, one way that you can help us out, you know, you don't need to give us money, although we will always take money. You know, I did lose work. Emily is semi-employed, but we're not asking for money. No, what we're asking because it's worth more than cash or maybe who knows, not as much as toilet paper, but slightly more than cash are reviews. You know, we just have like three reviews and we've been like sitting at 18 reviews, five star reviews for a while. And I just think that like a great time to review our podcast and like give us a little boost is right now. You can go on iTunes and give us a little five star and write something nice. And we would deeply appreciate that more than anything, almost as much as we would appreciate you following us on Medium at Old Millennials Pod, where we are putting up some primo content if you want to take a break from refreshing Twitter and yelling into the void. And you can also find us on Instagram at The Old Millennials Pod and on Facebook at the same place. And you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Marg, she wrote. And I'm at Emily Abijan. And we have some fun mini episode ideas that we're going to get around to and plenty of stuff to take your mind off of what's going on. So until you hear from us next time, stay the fuck inside, stay safe, and goodbye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.